What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Red Zone Radio. I'm Robert Rompler. Today I have a special guest. Brandon Marcello is a writer for 247 Sports, writes about college football. I just wrote a great article about the college football playoff expansion. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Very excited to have you on. And I want to get started talking about the college football playoff expansion because to me, when you're looking at, you know, college football right now, there are three teams, obviously, that kind of separate themselves. Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And they tend to – one of those teams is going to be a national championship. One of those teams is going to win it. At least two of those teams are going to be in the college football playoff every year. And that's why this expansion seems good to me because you get more teams in the mix and the committee can be a little more open-minded. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on the expansion, but I also want to get your thoughts. What are you kind of hearing from everybody around college football, uh, around you know writing about the expansion as well? Yeah, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, obviously has been kind of a long time coming. And over the last several months, it's become actually pretty clear that it was going to be a 12-team playoff. The SEC had really been uh, on that side of trying to push it to 12 teams here the last several months. And with Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner on that working group, um, it wasn't a surprise to see that 12 teams was the was the format. What What is interesting is, I guess, kind of the uh, – um, the, the criteria and, and the, the format they're going with within that 12-team playoff by saying, hey, we're going to have the six highest-ranked conference champions and plus six at-large berths. And by the way, you must be a conference champion to get a bye uh, in the first round among those first four teams, which obviously alienates Notre Dame. Um, and that's interesting because uh, Notre Dame's AD, Jack Swarbrick, is on that working group committee that uh, helped put this together. So uh, it seems that this was a, uh, a format uh, that they kind of, a lot of, they had to kind of meet middle ground on a lot, a lot of things. You know, for example, we're going to have on-campus playoff games in the first round, but not the second round. We're going to go to the bowl uh, games in, in the second round. It almost feels like, okay, well, you can't have both, so take one for every situation they were trying to figure out. So, um, but, um, you know, over these next several weeks and even months before they decide whether to uh, approve this formally in September, uh, there could be tweaks. Uh, I don't know if there will be, but there could be tweaks. They left that open, um, which is interesting to me that, uh, hey, you know, this is just a, obviously a proposal and the, board of managers and the management committee uh, will discuss this over the next few weeks and then they can make recommendations for changes themselves. And of course, then it has to be approved um, by the board of managers unanimously. So um, still uh, a little bit of ways to go, but it's obviously clear that we're ex expanding the playoff. It's happening. And um, this is what it'll most likely look like, but there could still be some tweaks within that. Um, yeah, so you bring up some interesting points, Travis, about Notre Dame, uh, obviously kind of being excluded, even though uh, they were part of the decision making in the college football playoff. And I want to ask you, uh, obviously, about expanding. And another question I have about the expansion is when you're looking at, you know, a 12 team format, um, the one the one uh, problem I've always kind of had with the like, I've always wanted it to expand. But the one problem I always had it with expanding is I feel like then you are. Because there are teams, obviously, at the top of college football that, that almost nobody 
you know, because there's obviously a gap. When you get through those first five or six teams in the rankings, then there's obviously a gap. You have teams like Cincinnati and BYU, nothing against those teams. But I can't, you know, I don't necessarily know if they'd be able to beat in Alabama or something like that. So is that a concern? Was that ever a concern with expanding the playoff that these games, maybe for the first round, they'll be a little bit, they'll be competitive, but then you get to the second round, it's almost like a March Madness kind of thing, where when you run in those one seeds, it's just like running into a buzzsaw. What's that? Did you hear if that was ever kind of a concern in expanding the playoff is the level of competition between one to 12? Because that's a big gap to me. No, there was zero conversation about that. And, you know, that's something that's, you know, we, we can assume and make those, uh, you know, um, assumptions and everything, but until we actually see it in a playoff format where we're seeing teams get absolutely killed, you know, when we're seeing maybe a one versus a 12 potentially, um, you know, the big thing for them was that they just wanted to provide opportunities to these, to these programs because they so for so long, they've been shut out. Now we'll see down the road if there are these type of blowouts every year where it's just like, wow, the, 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 the nine, Ninth seed or the eighth seed that just absolutely has no shot at knocking off the number one seed in the in the first round or the second round, excuse me. Um, but that that at no point uh, really came up about the competitiveness of, of it um, because it, it's you know those programs believe that they can compete. And for that matter, if we want to look through history, you know people will always try to point at you know a UCF and a Boise State. You know UCF beat. Auburn in the New Year's Six uh, several years ago. And, of course, Boise State um, has knocked off Oklahoma uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. So, you know, we'll see. But at, at no point was that was that really brought up. And I just have one more question about the expansion. Um, so, you know, we kind of talk about – we kind of talk about uh, with, you know, Ohio State and Alabama that – with these big schools, I love watching them play, obviously, in the playoff and everything. But the see, so college football is obviously my favorite sport. I'm sure it's your favorite sport you write about and everything. And it's so fun to watch. But the problem I've always necessarily had with it is that I feel like during the regular season, you rarely get great games. Like, you you don't get Ohio State and Alabama during the regular season or Clemson and Alabama during the regular season. And I, I always felt like college football should have more of these big-time games, maybe like Georgia versus an Oregon, during the regular season. And do you think that since it is expanding to 12 teams and you kind of have room for a loss, so, so if you're like in Ohio State and you kind of have room for a loss and still be able to make it in, whereas now if you lose a game, you pretty much have no chance to make it to college football playoff. If you lose two, you definitely have no chance to make it to college football playoff. Do you think this will encourage teams to kind of schedule harder opponents during the regular season at all? That's a great question about scheduling and, and something that hasn't really been talked about a lot, you know, with the regular season and trying to strengthen that resume. Um, that's something I think we'll probably see more from the group of five schools, to, to be honest. And um, because, um, you know, you're, you're in the group of five, you know, just winning your conference championship might not be enough to get in. Obviously, they're going to take the top ranked group of five school, which sets up well for, you know, maybe the AAC um, most years if you're the conference champion. But if you go in already with a couple of losses, uh, you're probably not going to get in. And so maybe you try to offset that by scheduling, you know, a power, big time power five opponent of blue blood. And maybe you can lean on that and say that's our one or two one of our two losses outside the conference but 
you know, I, I think when you look at like programs like Ohio State, um, you know, they, they just can't afford a bad loss now. Um, you know, it, I don't think strength of schedule is really going to matter for them as long as, you know, if Ohio State maybe even, you know, finishes just, you know, is a runner up, you know, gets to the Big Ten championship or whatever and doesn't doesn't win it, they'll still get in. But I think this is going to be a feeling out process really over, for the first three or four years to see how this affects scheduling. But in my mind, it, this just made it obviously easier for some of the power five programs where they don't, they don't have to worry necessarily of scheduling, like say a Georgia is trying to schedule a Clemson or something like that to help themselves. But, you know, there's certain programs and certain conferences where you don't really have to worry about that anyway. And the SEC is one of them. I mean, it's just kind of assumed that, you know, once you lose more than two games, you're out anyway. And um, that's probably going to be the case still. So um, I don't know how much it'll change, but certainly those first few years we're going to find out. All right. Well, thank you for uh, the updates on the college football playoff expansion. Uh, and I want to ask you a couple, because we still obviously got a couple years that happened. So we got a couple more years of the normal, uh, well, what I say normal, but college football playoff format as of now. Um, and I want to ask you about this year. So obviously there's a lot of good teams up there. Oklahoma's looking really good. Uh, Alabama's obviously always going to be good. Clemson's always going to be good. Ohio State's always going to be good. Uh, it, also, I heard you talk about Georgia, and you're and I heard you say that they're better than everybody on their schedule. And I don't disagree with that, other than Clemson. Um, is this the year? Do you feel for Kirby Smart necessarily, or not just Kirby Smart, but the whole Georgia program? Um, if they don't win the SEC championship, or they don't get past Alabama, or they don't make it to the college football playoff, that they are kind of this is who they kind of are now at this point is they're a great program. They're tier two, but they just cannot make the leap to tier one. It's kind of like a Notre Dame and Michigan situation. Obviously I think Georgia has more talent than both of those teams, but it's sort of that similar situation. Yeah. I think this is their best window that they've had so far in the Kirby smart era, including the year they obviously made the championship and lost on that second and 26 pass by Tua. So yeah, I think this is their best window. They they're they're incredibly deep. They've had incredible re recruiting classes, as you know, over the last five years. I mean, they've been in the top three every single year. Uh, they've had two number one recruiting classes during that time, and they've built that roster to a point where they should not only compete for a national championship, they should win it. I mean, not only do they have those top three recruiting classes every year, but they've got five star transfers coming in at crucial spots for them to contribute, including. Um, including Daniels at, at, at quarterback and what we've seen recently with their Gilbert, the tight or tight end, I say, but he's actually going to play receiver for Georgia. And they, they shored up um, their, their secondary Darian, Darian Kendrick coming in the former Clemson player. So, uh, you know, you got three, five-star transfers that are going to be probably be starters this year, most certainly. Um, and you couple that with all the depth they have and all the recruiting classes they've had, they sh they should win a national championship in this span of you know four years uh, beginning with that first class. So I think this is the best year yet for them um, as far as what they've built. And I don't know if it's like say it's like this year or bust because this year if they don't win it, they're definitely not going to win it the year after year after that. But if you look at their roster, I think this is the best year, the best opportunity for them over these next like two or, or maybe three years. Um, I mean, they, they will probably be back. They will be back in this position if they continue to recruit the way they have. 
but um at, at some point you're right i mean it's just like you know at what point do we just go well kirby smart for georgia was just like not a step forward from the mark rick era but maybe it was just a half step forward it, it, it got them closer to that upper tier but they never were able to kind of crack that that glass ceiling and um you know listen georgia fans are are as hungry as anybody and you know, it's been 41 years, as we know, since they won a national championship, and they've been close several times since. But it just seems like that even when they get close, there's just this – you're just going, well, at some point this is going to fall apart, and and it always does. And um, so we'll see. They've got the players. I, I, I just wonder if, you know, they'll be able to pull all together and, and coach those guys up to a point where they're making great decisions coaching-wise and everything late in games when – things start getting really tight but you know we'll see uh, they should they should beat everybody on their schedule in the sec east and the sec i should say they should beat everybody on their schedule by double digits this year other than clemson in that opener and that's a coin flip game in my eyes they should beat everybody on their schedule by double digits because of the talent they have and frankly the, the teams they're facing florida i think is going to be a little bit down this year uh, I, I said it before last season. I said that Florida's window was 2020 for them to win the SEC. And sure enough, they they almost did it, and they did win the East and beat Georgia. But this year, it's going to be Georgia than everybody else below them in the SEC East. And they, they should cruise to the SEC championship game, and anything less will be a disappointment. Yeah, and I just want to uh, stay on Kirby Smart for a second because obviously I compared him – uh, to, uh, you know, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame and Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. And where I feel for all three of these coaches, then this is, and I really defend them, is the fact that we're asking them to beat, we're asking uh, Brian Kelly to beat Notre Dame, whether it's in the ACC, whether it's in the college football playoff, uh, I'm not, I mean, Clemson. Uh, we're asking, obviously, Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State every year at least one time. And and I defend and I will defend those two coaches. But I think what hurts Kirby Smart is those two other coaches when they took over those programs to where they are now. They're not, none of those programs are tier one, but they made them all tier two. Whereas, like you said, Kirby took over a tier two, and now it's just kind of upper tier two. So, do you think that that specific part of where those coaches took their programs and where they are now, compared to where Kirby took his program and to where he is now, is really going to weigh against him in this argument of, I'm not going to say, I, I don't think they're going to fire him because obviously he's too good of a recruiter. Uh, he wins too many games. But do you think that kind of weighs against him and maybe getting an extension, maybe getting another coaching job if he ever wanted coaching NFL or something? Yeah, like potentially. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see them ever making a move as far as long as he's doing what he's doing with the recruiting and and bringing so much attention to Georgia and and the money into Georgia. But I think for me that uh, you know I think you're right when you know you look at where Georgia's been before him under Mark Rick, they were consistently a tier two program that would sometimes get in the SEC championship game and win it. Um, you know, they were a lot like uh, Auburn, I guess, in the SEC. They, they would, every few years, they would punch up and, and beat an Alabama and get in the SEC championship game. But, um, you know, you mentioned Notre Dame and Brian Kelly. I, I think, you know, what's so – I think what he's – what's made him do such a good job there, what's, what's interesting about the job he's done there, I should say, is it's, you know, Notre Dame – you know, it's obviously a national program, but 
football has become so regional and with its recruiting as well. And yet he was able to fight against that and still maintain that national recruiting um, uh, uh, perspective with, with the way they approach it and still be able to build up really good talent. Whereas usually here in the last 15 years or so, that talent usually stays home in their region um, to play for some of the big time programs in the Southeast or, or even in uh, on the West coast. So he's done a fabulous job at Notre Dame and, and doing that. And also, of course, I mean, everybody wants to poo poo on, on, on Notre Dame, but uh, for their scheduling, for some reason, like, you know, but it's like, the, do you look at their schedule every year? I mean, they're playing one of the toughest schedules every single season. Um, so people go, well, they get in the playoff, they'll get blown out and all that. And it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not necessarily the issue for Notre Dame. The, the issue for Notre Dame is, you know, it's, it's Alabama, you know, pretty much like for everybody else, you just can't, it's very difficult to overcome uh, the, the number one or number two team in the country these days, because that number one or number two team is almost, it just seems like every year they're getting better. You know, the last national champion, you know, with LSU in 2019, everyone's like, wow, we might not see an offense like that again. And then the next year, Alabama pretty much, or Alabama actually surpasses it with their scoring average and has an amazing uh, run uh, of their skill positions on offense. So it's um, what, what Notre Dame's done is pretty remarkable in my eyes under Kelly, but yeah, you're right with smart. It's just, he took over a program that was already on the fence between tier two and tier one. And even though they're winning slightly more games than they did under Mark Richt, and obviously they've been to a national championship game, they're still on that fence. They're still straddling it. And that's, that's the most difficult jump to make um, is to make that jump from being great to elite. And, um, and Kirby smarts finding that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to, so obviously I've, you cover college football, but you cover a lot of SEC football. And I want to ask you about Auburn. So they fired Gus Malzahn. Uh, and it was, I, I don't want to say shocking, but it was a little surprising to me because Gus Malzahn has done things like beat Alabama. Uh, he's done things like take him to the SEC championship. And the other problem, I, I, I didn't necessarily have a big problem with it, but the one thing that, I kind of find it guts my down on is it's not like Auburn has, it, they've been good at football before. I'm not saying they haven't been uh, one of the better programs in the country, but I feel like Auburn, their athletic director and everyone that was in on that decision kind of raised their standards to something that Auburn hasn't really been in a long time and maybe has never been. And I feel like, Obviously, last year is rough, but I, I feel like I, I would have given Gus Malzahn a pass on last year simply because of COVID. I understand SEC handled COVID the best, and I understand that other programs like Alabama didn't get affected that much by COVID. But it's not like Auburn it, – it's not like last year at this time when we were thinking about is it going to be college football season – I was sitting here thinking, just in my opinion, I was sitting here thinking, well, maybe Alabama will be okay. Maybe Ohio State will be okay. Clemson, whoever, these big programs. But I wasn't thinking, man, Auburn's going to fly through COVID with no problem. Uh, I, I kind of thought it would affect those schools. And I think uh, this decision was a little surprising to me. What was your thoughts on it? Yeah, it was a little surprising because, you know, I covered Auburn, you know, for, for seven years. And it, 
under the Malzahn era, and especially in the 2010s here, that uh, if you beat Alabama, it almost bought you like two more years on the job at least. And he beat Alabama in 2019, and you kind of just thought, well, he's safe through 2020, and then maybe 2021 he'd be on the hot seat again if they had a disappointing year. And I guess at some point, you know, Alan Green, the athletics director, and, of course, the boosters and power brokers there just thought, you know, why do we keep going through this every three or four years with him where we are seemingly just kind of contending maybe every three or four years to win the SEC West. And and the only time we beat Alabama is if it's a home game and Alabama is maybe a little bit down. Um, but, you know, having said that, you're, you're right in the, in the sense that, you know, Auburn expects to compete for SEC championships and national championships every year. And that's just, through history for them, that's never been the case. I mean, this is a program that has only one instance of back-to-back 10-win seasons. Isn't that incredible? They're in, That's the thing with Auburn. They're incredibly inconsistent. They will win 11 games one year and then turn around and win four or five the next. They're not consistent. They don't build that consistency that you need to be a championship program. But somehow, despite that, in the face of that, they still contend for SEC titles and even win them and and win it national titles. It's it's kind of crazy to think, especially when you're in the same state as Alabama, and that's that. But that's the the root issue to all of this is that Auburn is constantly comparing itself to Alabama, and while that's natural to do and easy to do, they should not be doing that. They should be saying, okay, we've carved out our own way of here of contending for championships every four or five years. How do we manage to make that every three years or every two years or something like that? How do we get this program to a point where we're winning 10 games each year? And not to say don't compare yourself to Georgia, but I'm going to say why not be more like Georgia where you're winning 10 games every year, where you get to that point so that maybe at some point you still have those breakthroughs, but at, le- at the very least you're keeping the the fan base and the boosters happier, because you know Auburn doesn't necessarily have a money problem with its booster situation, but it would be so much better and healthier there if they were winning nine, ten, eleven games every year, and they they haven't done that. That inc- inconsistency has kind of brought about this 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 method of chaos where there's knee jerk reactions where oh. We had a great season last year, but this season looks bad. We need to fire the coach. It's like, what? Hold on a second here. And for Gus Malzahn, he was more consistent there than some coaches, but even then it was still like eight wins, nine wins, maybe 10 wins. He never had a losing season, but this past year was you know, by far his worst at six and four. And so you know, going into that final game, uh, I think they played Mississippi State, it, it was, you know, word started kind of, going about around Gus Malzahn that, oh, something might be happening. They might be getting rid of him. So um, it still was a little surprising. And as you said, it's just they, they go in, they're thinking they're going to hire someone to get that consistency. And but, but is it the answer? I mean, we won't know until we know. But, you know, it's very clear when they hired Brian Harson, they hired a guy that wins 10 games a year, and that's the expectation for Auburn. So maybe they're kind of following that guideline, as I just mentioned. Don't compare yourself to Alabama every year. That's impossible. No one should do that. I mean, the only other program out there that can do that is Clemson right now. And you're not going to do that in the same state. You're just not. But the history has shown 
when Alabama is really great, Auburn can still be really great too. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. There's not one and then the other. Both programs can be very successful in that same state. It's just that Auburn shouldn't expect that it's boom or bust every year. It shouldn't be 12 wins in the championship every year. It should be, let's get to 10, and maybe we get to 12 every now and again. Um, that should be the expectation there. And if they did that, that would cure a lot of things. As I mentioned, fundraising, it would it would eliminate this idea of just this chaotic thinking where you're good one year and you're mediocre the next, and, and all of a sudden these boosters are going behind the scenes thinking they should fire someone. It's uh, it's kind of it's kind of crazy, and and they've been successful in in spite of that still. Yeah, um, and I want to ask you. So you so you bring up. I I totally agree with what you're saying about Auburn, uh, comparing themselves to Alabama. They're in the same state. You play them every year, and you're comparing yourself to the best program ever in history, uh, and and with the best coach still ever in history, and with the best talent ever in history. Um, I mean that's when you look at Alabama. Obviously, their team. Had they surpassed the LSU team, like you mentioned, uh, in offensive efficiency, nothing against Matt Jones, but they did it with a quarterback that that could barely scramble, and that to me that's insane. I thought, uh, you know, so obviously Alabama's going to reload. Um, I want to ask you, obviously, I I bring up you talk a lot about the SEC. I want to talk a little, shift a little bit to the Big Ten, um, because I want to talk about uh, Michigan. Obviously, they got situation. To me, it's a little similar with the situation that Auburn has going on, like you just mentioned with Alabama, um, where every year we, I feel like it's whenever Ohio State comes around on their schedule and Jim Harbaugh doesn't beat them, uh, we bring up, uh, it should Jim Harbaugh be fired? And I think when you're looking at where Michigan was, he shouldn't be fired. Uh, but some Michigan fans are calling for his, for his uh, termination. Do you think, I, I don't think they're going to fire him, but do you see a potential uh, parting of ways, I guess, between Jim Harbaugh and Michigan coming up with the next few years? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, I, I do think he's on the hot seat this year. And, you know, despite that contract extension, whatever you want to call it, where they rework things, where he's actually getting paid less at this point. But um, they're just not getting it done in Michigan right now. And, uh, you know, losing Ohio State every year is just not going to cut it. I, I don't. I mean, it doesn't matter what their record is, but losing Ohio State every single year is just not going to do it. I mean, you know, we talk about comparing it to maybe the Auburn situation, but at least Auburn was beating Alabama like every three or four years, which was is seemingly impossible for everybody else in the SEC, but somehow they're doing it. And yet Michigan's not even coming close against Ohio State, especially here of late. So, yeah, I, I think he's under pressure. And listen, there's all that off the field stuff going on right now with the with the investigations in the Bo Schimbleckler era there, and he's been defending him big time in the media, and it just looked like a, you know, frankly, kind of a bit of a fool defending Bo Schimbleckler in the media when he should probably just keep quiet about it and not talk about something that he maybe doesn't quite understand. Just say, you know, listen, I'm a public figure. I'm running this program. Um, I'm worried about what's going on now, and I hope the truth comes out one way or another with uh, with with that investigation. Don't come out and just stand on one side of the issue no matter what and potentially make yourself look foolish and i think he's making himself look foolish with that and that's definitely gonna affect his tenure i think that's gonna that stuff like that is what what can get you fired down the road and um you couple that with losing and not even coming close to ohio state there definitely could be a change that's made there despite the quote-unquote contract extension they they did here recently so you know to me michigan's just you know 
<clears throat> I'm not comparing Michigan to what we're seeing at Nebraska right now because Nebraska is just absolutely baffling to me under Scott Frost right now. I can't believe they're in the situation they're in um, where they've been shown really barely any improvement at all, if any. But Michigan, it just seems like they're they're in the second tier, but they're like in the lower second tier right now where you don't really think they've got a shot against really anyone that matters in the Big Ten. And and frankly, like if you were to put Michigan, say, like in the SEC, they'd be winning six or seven games a year. They're just not all that great. They they can't figure things out. And um, listen, uh, Michigan fans are only going to keep up with that – for so long and as i said i don't think harbaugh's doing himself any favors by saying what he's saying right now about the bo schimbuckler situation and also you know he's a coach that like barely even talks in any way publicly he barely speaks to the media and when he does he says things like that and it just it's it's kind of amazing i i think i think michigan's kind of fallen fallen off instead of just improving i really do i mean you look at the previous 10 years of course right before Harbaugh and you're like oh this is an improvement but to me it's almost the same in a lot of ways because of one the off the field stuff the roster inconsistency the turnover and then of course just not being able to compete with Ohio State and uh staying in the Big Ten I want to ask you about obviously being in Nebraska um and I feel like when you look at the Big Ten right now um so if you every conference college football Take the SEC out of it. Like, if you take Alabama out of the SEC, that's still a really good conference. Um, but if you take the top school and every other Power Five program uh, in the country right now, Ohio State, the Big Ten, Clemson out of the ACC, uh, probably Oregon. Out of, I mean, that conference is a great anyway. But you take Oregon out of the Pac-12. Um, none of these conferences are, are are looking good at all. If you take the top team out of it, and the Big Ten to me is is kind of baffling. Like you mentioned uh, with Scott Frost, because not only is Scott Frost coaching Nebraska, but there are a lot of good coaches, in my opinion, in the Big Ten. You got Tom Allen uh, with Indiana. I think he's a great coach. Obviously, that program appears to be on, uh, appears to be coming up, but we don't know. That's a fluke thing. We'll have to see this year. Jim Harbaugh has proven to be a good coach. We see what's going on with Michigan. Uh, P.J. Fleck, I thought, was a really good coach. We saw what happened with Minnesota last year. I, I think James Franklin at Penn State's a great program. They cannot make the leap. Um, and these schools in the Big Ten specifically, the coaches are great. I think the talent's good. Obviously, you have a giant in Ohio State in that conference, but it, to me, it's weird that the Big Ten is not similar to SEC in that is it because it's harder to recruit because maybe you're up in the I don't know, maybe because you're up in the cold weather. I just cannot figure out why these other why these teams in the Big Ten are not competing uh, and being almost as good as a conference as the SEC. Yeah, I, th- I think I disagree a little bit there. I think the Big Ten has been pretty competitive and has been right under the SEC in a lot of ways, but not, I don't think it's really a, a, a wide gap there, as maybe some people think. I, I think Penn State, despite what happened last year, starting 0-5, I think Penn State has been more consistent under James Franklin, even though they aren't winning Big Ten titles every single season, of course. And I think, you know, by far – Ohio State is the class of the conference, but Penn State's right behind them. And this is a big year, by the way, for Penn State and seeing if they can get back to the winning 10 games every year, um, but also competing for a Big Ten championship. I, I don't think there's a window there for them this year to win it, but this is the window for them to show that in two or three years from now that they maybe can beat Ohio State once again and get to, you know, the play, not only the playoff, but maybe a top four seed. But 
Um, you know, when you look at the Big Ten, you know, you talk about Tom Allen. I think he's a great coach, but if, you know, they've been so reliant on Florida for their their recruiting, and they've done a great job with that. But their recruiting the last couple of years has has not been as good as it has been to what to help them build the team that we saw last year. So I've got concerns about the longevity of Indiana being a competitive program in the Big Ten again. I, I, I this may we call it a fluke, but I think this has been building to a point where last year was going to be their best year, and then starting in 2020, we're going to start seeing some cracks. Uh, in that armor a little bit, but, um, and you mentioned PJ Fleck, you know, listen, 2020, we could use COVID as an excuse for having a bad season or whatever, but yeah, to me, the great coaches are the ones who were able to hold their teams together and be successful, um, through that situation. That's why Alabama thrived because they got the best coach in all of college football and he kept that thing together at Alabama, Penn state. You know, I wondered, I was like, man, I thought James Franklin was one of those great coaches, but then, Listen, that offense just wasn't working for them last year. And he said, listen, we're going to go to – we're going to start grounding and pounding it a little bit here with the run game. We're going to change things offensively. And they finished the season winning four straight. So, you know, James Franklin's obviously a great coach. But I've got questions about what's going on at Michigan. Obviously, Nebraska. It's just terrible what's going on there. And so I, I think that image-wise, when you look at it, some people will go, well, the Big Ten's not as competitive because – you know, those second tier teams, in the big 10 right now are the likes of Indiana and Minnesota, instead of them being the name brand programs like a Nebraska or even a Michigan and Michigan's in that second tier, but you know, they don't really ever have a shot against Ohio state. So, you know, uh, we'll see. I think the sec is better, maybe a step ahead better, but I don't think it's maybe two or three steps better than, than say, maybe some people think. I, I do agree with you. Um, in the fact that I do think the Big Ten is is, is very underrated. I, I personally don't uh I, I don't necessarily put them in the class of like nobody's in the class of ICC, but to me, uh the Big Ten, it's not so much about them. I, I when when I bring up them being the second best conference in college football, it's not so much about how good the Big Ten is. It's just about, in my opinion, how much worse all the other conferences in college football because you know, it, it, these other conferences, ACC, perhaps Pac 12. You know, in the Pac-12, you got USC and you got Oregon. And, and in Clemson, uh, there were a couple of years where, you know, there are other schools in that conference on top. So what do you think needs to happen over, you know, maybe maybe there isn't a problem. Maybe I'm just overreacting. But the one problem I kind of see in college football right now is you can put SEC and, and Big Ten top two. And you look at these other conferences and they are just, I mean, it's just not competitive. Clemson did not, they barely struggled last year. And when they did, it was because Trevor Lawrence was out. Um, so I, 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 you know, no, I know Dame that conference helped. Um, but obviously, like you said, they're, they're out of the conference now. Is there, is there, do you see on the horizon, maybe it's some sort of potential conference change, any recruiting change, or is this how it potentially is going to look for a while? Maybe until we hit the new college football playoff expansion where SEC is going to be up top big 10, number two. Uh, and those top three schools uh, in the country, every Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, are just going to be in the playoff. Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to remain more the same because we talk, people talk a lot about with the NIL coming up and everything that, hey, this is going to help some schools. But, you know, for example, <laughs> you know, some Georgia Tech is really trying to pitch this idea of, hey, come to Georgia Tech. We're, we're in Atlanta. There's all these businesses and everything, and you will get big deals and sponsorship deals with all these businesses. Uh, and guess what? You know, a few days ago, 
a business in Atlanta, an apparel uh, provider, uh, announced that they are planning to sign several uh, players to deals. But they're University of Georgia players. They're not Georgia Tech players. And that's an Atlanta business right in the backyard of Georgia Tech. So, you know, this idea that maybe some of these schools near bigger metros and everything that could potentially become bigger programs because of NIL, that's just not – I just don't think that's going to happen. So, anyway, I I say that to say this. College football, what we see right now, will be more of the same going forward in the next three, four, five years. doesn't mean we might not see another team rise – but it's going to be a program that has been slowly building that like Clemson did. I mean, Clemson was winning 10 games every single year until the point where they got to this elite status where they're in the playoff practically every year and winning the ACC championship, you know, programs that could potentially do that are are the ones that have done it before really, or have been kind of on the cusp of that. And one of those is Florida state in the ACC, in my opinion, they're in a perfect situation. They're recruiting wise. And of course, with their, facilities and tradition to be able to get back to that point and but we'll see if they can do that i just don't think we're going to see a program come out of nowhere like say like a you know like we're talking big 10 maybe in indiana all of a sudden come out and we're like oh wow they're a big 10 contender every year that's just not going to happen so yeah i think it's going to be more of the same college football and and even with this college football playoff expansion we talk about parity maybe introducing some parity in the end just look at the fcs you know playoff every year you know, it's been won practically every year by the same two or three schools, or actually it has been um, over these last 10, 15 years. So uh, it's not going to change very much uh, in college football uh, on the FBS level, other than maybe in the, you know, in the first round, we see some upsets. But when we get to the second round, I think it'll be um, very much the, the, the top dogs that we're used to seeing winning those games again. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I don't want to keep it for too long. I have, I want to get to your predictions. Um, but I just want to, I, I want to ask one more question about this kind of competitive balance uh, that we, that I think should be restoring college football. Obviously it's hard to go about doing that. Um, I, I want to ask about, you bring up Florida state um, and I, LSU was a team, obviously two years ago, ridiculous offense, Joe Burrow, uh, you know, Coach O uh, is, is, you know, he's classic. He's on the he, – every time he gets on the interview, he's saying, go Tigers, and and it's fun to watch. It, but it, it was just a complete fluke season. They lose – I mean, just everybody. Um, they struggle to reload. COVID comes. Is there – when they signed Coach O to that extension at that championship, I kind of thought to myself – that, that's fast to do because let's not forget about all the talent he had. You had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, two first-round picks, uh, just just insane just insane talent on that team. Uh, you had Coach Brady, the best offensive coordinator, Clyde Edwards-Hiller, or so he's going with the Chiefs. Do you see LSU coming back to the top? And if not, when is Coach O, when is Coach o going to start feeling some pressure? I mean, I know he just won the championship two years ago, but I, I think if they struggle this year, or, or maybe a year after that, we're going to start hearing some talk about, look, that was a fluke season. He had all the talent. How much of that – so I guess I have a two-part question for this. How much of that season was about Coach O actually coaching the team versus how much talent they had? And two, do you see do you see him potentially start feeling some, some heat from the athletic director and some of the fans in Baton Rouge? Yeah, I th- – I think it's possible, but you know they're so loaded right now. I think going into this year, they should challenge to win ten games this this season. Um, that that's a team that if you look at their schedule, they should win 
eight games, if not nine, and maybe challenge to get to 10 wins um, because of the talent there. But I'll say this about Coach O. At the very least, he's going in and he he's not afraid to make changes. He, he realizes that the coaches he hired after that national championship game where the, you know, the, the best coaches on the staff uh, left, of course, and then he ends up hiring Bo Pelini, his friend, to coordinate the defense, and it was a complete disaster. And so he fired him after just one year and made a decision to go back to the uh, to, to the Joe Brady coaching tree, so to speak, to help with the offense too. So he's not afraid to make changes. He's learned from mistakes in this past. He's not going to try to repeat them. But, um, you know, I, I think there could be comparisons made, at least in the situation we're seeing right now, to what Gene Chizik had going on at, at Auburn. You know, they win that nat- national championship in 2010. You're like, well, they had Cam Newton, and then he leaves. And what makes you think this is going <laughs> to continue there? And sure enough, they end up firing him two years later um, because of just being incredibly mediocre. Uh, and Ed Ordron could be in danger of that. He, he can't be mediocre at LSU. That's just not acceptable because of the talent they have. They have incredible talent there every year. And this year, I, I, they've return, returned a load of starters. They're very talented and they should win, you know, eight, nine, maybe 10 games this upcoming season. And if they don't, I don't think he'll be on the hot seat, but we'll start hearing these rumblings and everything. And we might be talking about a wholly different situation when 2023 hits the calendar. But, um, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if it was quote unquote a fluke that they won the championship because obviously they were so talented and you got to give coach O credit for that. But if we see them just be mediocre over these next couple of years, then you need to go, okay, we got to, we got to question what, what's going on here, but I, you still got to give them some time. I, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point. Yeah, that, yeah, definitely give them some time. Uh, we could all see uh, more coach. O. Um, I want to ask you about, um, so what, well, who do you see first of all this year um, being in the playoff uh, and who do you see winning at all? If you had, if you had to pick today, if you had to put your bet on it, Whew. Um, I'd say Bama. I think Bama is going to be, you know, a team that evolves and improves throughout this upcoming season where we're going, wow. Uh, here are the new superstars in college football bikes, say game seven or eight. Um, whereas we're going to go into this season and we're going to have our assumptions about Bryce Young and some of the guys on that roster. But there's going to be three players usually from that Alabama team. They end up becoming household names and, and it'll be the case again this year. I think they win it. I think at the start of the season, the best team in the country is going to look is going to what the best team in the country is going to look like. It's going to be either Ohio State or or Oklahoma, and then Alabama is probably going to be on the cusp of maybe looking like the second or third best team. But by by mid season, I think you know a little bit past mid season, it's going to be clear that Alabama is the best program in the country. And what's really going to help Ohio State is you know forget the quarterback battle there. I don't even care about it because that receiver core there at Ohio State is by far the best in the country. But having said that, I go back again to Alabama. I think their receiving core is going to be the best one in the country by the end of the year. It's the youngest out of those those three units I mentioned, Oklahoma and in uh, Ohio State. But Alabama's receiver core, I think, by the end of the year is going to be the best in the country, um, and we'll see. But you know, Clemson, of course, is going to be in that conversation too. But I think at least early in the year, we're going to be talking a lot about OU – in Ohio State. And it listen, if Clemson ends up, you know, beating 
beating Georgia by double digits in that opener. Certainly, we're going to be talking about Clemson. But the thing is, with Clemson, we're going to be talking about them all year long anyway because they're, I think they're going to, um, I think they're going to run away with the ACC this year. I don't think really anybody's going to be. I mean, they might have a close game, but I, I just don't think it's really going to be any question that they win the ACC once again. All right, so going with the Bama win championship, obviously uh, picking Alabama win the national championship is never a bad bet in college football. I don't care what year it is. That's never a bad bet. Um, and I just want to ask you one more prediction. You know, everyone's saying Spencer Radler, Sam Howell for the Heisman now. I've never been a crazy Heisman guy, but I kind of got interested back in last year simply because obviously Devontae Smith won it. It was refreshing to see a receiver win their award. Um do you see obviously Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell winning it, or could potentially have another Devontae Smith receiver DN win it? I, I love years like that. Um, we probably won't go in for a while, but do you see it? Do you see someone even being a finalist that's not a quarterback next year? And uh, who would you pick to win the Heisman this year? Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but you know, Spencer Rattler is obviously the betting favorite right now. Um, but I, I think by the end of the year, it may very well be DJ Uyangale. I think he'll end up he'll end up winning it. Um, he's got a lot of weapons to work with this year. He's more dual threat, so to speak, than what we saw from Trevor. That he's going to run a little bit. I think he's going to put up huge numbers in the ACC this season. And uh, I think DJ could potentially end up being the winner there. I, I mean, I don't know, but I just kind of just got this gut feeling that DJ very well could end up being the Heisman winner. Um, you know, you look at these betting odds, so I'm looking at them right now. It's amazing to me that JT Daniels is ranked as high as he is. He's got the third best odds in, in these odds I'm looking at. And I, I just, I don't know if I see that right now, but, um, and De'Ara King as well, just below Sam Howell. So but anyway, DJ, he's got the fourth best odds tied for the fourth best odds. That's someone that if I was a betting guy and I'm not, but that's someone that I would put some money on. Uh, Cause I, I think, I think DJ is the strongest candidate when you look at the schedule and all the competition to, to win it among those top five, because in those top five, you got Spencer Rattler, Bryce Young, JT, DJ, and Sam Howell. I think DJ could emerge from all that. When you're looking for a good bet to make, to make some money, I think DJ could very well be that person. Yeah, but absolutely. I agree with you. And, uh, you can Brandon. it. was a pleasure to have you on. I'd love to have you on again sometime. And, uh, First of all, uh, you can check out the articles at 247 Sports. Follow him on Instagram at Brandon Marcello. Uh, post all sorts of college football content. Read his articles. They're very interesting. Talks about the college football playoff format. Always has updated news. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you very much. Love to have you on again sometime. Uh, I will see all of you next time on Red Zone Radio.